Hi, everyone, and welcome to How to College for First Gens, our podcast where we have real conversations about what it's like to be a first-generation student. If you're a new listener, our goal here is to democratize knowledge that we've gained along the way, learn a bit more about the first-gen experience, and hopefully help others going through some of the challenges we've experienced by sharing lessons learned from fellow first-gens. I'm Luz, one of the podcast co-hosts and a first-generation student myself. Today, we will be talking about graduate school, and specifically the master's degree. Graduate school is additional education you can obtain after a bachelor's or undergraduate degree. Master's degrees can often vary between one to three years and are intended for students to get deeper and more critical understanding of a particular topic. I myself have been contemplating a master's degree, so I turned to some fellow firsts to help demystify what a master's is, how you apply, how the experience differs from undergrad, and what you really get out of those added years in school to help answer the question, is the master's right for me and is it worth it? Join me and our guests as we get an introduction to what a master's degree looks like. Our first guest today is Blanca, a current senior at Santa Clara University who has just recently applied to a master's in student affairs. Blanca, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi everyone, my name is Blanca. I'm a first-generation college student. I currently go to Santa Clara University. I'll be graduating in June with a Bachelor's of Science in Ethnic Studies and Psychology. My parents immigrated here from Nicaragua. I'm also a first-generation American. Also going to be going to graduate school in the fall at the University of San Francisco, where I'll be attaining a Master's of Arts in Higher Education and Student Affairs. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Blanca, for being here today. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about what your college journey has been like in general, how you got to where you are now? Ever since I was little, my parents instilled in me the importance of education and the importance of college. I started my undergraduate college searching my junior year researching them, creating a list of colleges I wanted to apply to. I come from a low-income family. I came in as a psych major, thinking I was going to go to music therapy after I graduated, so I declared music. Then I dropped music, then minored in ethnic studies, and then eventually declared a major in ethnic studies. I'm really passionate about racial justice, social justice, gender justice, and the combination of both of those provided me the best educational foundation to be able to have a career in racial justice. During college, I worked all four years at Starbucks. Um, I've also worked in residence life to provide me housing on campus. I've joined multiple clubs specifically tailored to Latino women. I joined Hermanas Unidas, which is a club basically only located in the state of California. And I joined a multicultural sorority called Alpha Pi Sigma. And both of those provided me with professional development resources and academic resources to develop myself to be a good candidate for when I apply to jobs, as I'm currently doing. But throughout my college journey, I've definitely dealt with imposter syndrome. Fortunately, I did have my sister who attended college before me, so she was able to provide me with some support basically been my college journey of feeling like I didn't belong. And then finally, as a senior, finally, I'm like, okay, yes, I do belong here. It's definitely been a lot of ups and downs, but all these ups and downs have prepared me for entering post-undergrad life and entering the workforce because it also makes me realize that imposter syndrome doesn't really go away. And it's just something that I will constantly deal with, but be able, being able to understand that now has really helped me understand that while, yes, I may have those doubts, I'm 
was in this place or I'm going to this place for a reason. Yep, definitely. A lot of common themes there that I've heard from a lot of first gens in general about the Ponster syndrome, about changing majors and just kind of really figuring out how it all works. So let's go ahead and dive into the topic for today, which is graduate school and specifically the master's degree. So when did you first learn about graduate school and what it was? And when did you first decide that you wanted to apply? I learned about going to school after bachelor's degree when my sister was first interested about it, but I didn't really learn much about what graduate school was, just that she was interested. And she didn't end up going through with graduate school. So that was to the extent of my knowledge then. And that was around when I was entering college. But I didn't really look into graduate school until my junior year of college because I was trying to decide what I wanted to do after college. And to me, the concept of not having to do school anymore was very weird for me because I've been in school for most of my life. I kind of wanted to learn more learning that I could go to a graduate program that I know I'll be interested in and looking at the classes they take and knowing that I'd be learning with people that are equally as interested and invested in learning as I am was something really intriguing to me. And I would talk to my ethnic studies professors and they would tell me, they're like, you want to do something around racial justice. You want to do something in higher education, apply to programs just apply to them. Maybe you'll get in, maybe you'll get scholarships. You don't know. It wasn't until my junior year that I seriously started looking into graduate programs. For a while, I was just like, what am I even going to apply to? I didn't know at the time that there were programs in student affairs. I was working in residence life and I was like, I want to continue working in residence life or something similar to residence life. When I had to interview candidates for the resident director position at my school, they would say, oh, I got a degree in student affairs. And it was kind of like hearing those interviews and they're just like, yeah, I got a master's degree in student affairs from UCLA. And I was like, student affairs is like a little light bulb went on. Perfect. That's what I want to apply to. I ended up researching a bunch of student affairs programs. And I knew when I was applying that I may not have known the program, but I knew I wanted to stay in California to be close to family. Ended up getting accepted to my dream program, which is University of San Francisco. And that's where I'll be attending in the fall. Obviously, you had an interest in student affairs, but why did you decide that doing a master's was the right path? Is student affairs something that you couldn't have gone into with just a bachelor's degree, or did you have to have a master's degree? What guided that decision for you? Well, one, I knew I did not want to do a PhD program. do not want to be in school that long. I want a two- to three-year program. Because I also knew myself and I was like, yes, I love learning, but I know if I continue for too long, I'm going to eventually get burned out. So I narrowed it down to not PhD right now. When it came to deciding whether I could have just gone into the field with a bachelor's degree or if I needed to get a master's, I didn't necessarily need to get a master's. There are student affairs positions where they only require a bachelor's degree, but a lot of them heavily prefer a master's degree. So I knew at some point I would enter this entry-level student affairs position, but I would need to get a graduate degree to be able to move up. So I decided rather than hitting that roadblock later down the road when I'm looking for another job or I'm looking for a promotion, just to get that right off the bat so I can present myself as someone who already has a degree in what they're looking for. I also wanted to be able to 
have more of a framework of what student affairs is. And I thought that education was the best way to do that while also working in the field. Um, So I'm currently applying to jobs within the student affairs profession. But I wanted to be able to have that critical lens of what a student student affairs professional is, especially during these times. I wanted to have a racial and ethnic justice component to it beyond just my bachelor's degree and learning more so I can approach the positions that I will hopefully be in more critically and be able to better sue people of color. Gotcha. That's very interesting. You'll be doing your master's program and also working at the same time. Yes. So the program that I'm attending at the University of San Francisco is a part-time two-year program. So it only meets nine times a semester on the weekends. It allows for people to still work. Right now, I'm looking at different jobs in universities in the surrounding areas to be able to get student affairs experience while getting my master's degree. When I end up applying for jobs again, maybe after my master's degree or a few years later, I can have both the education experience and the professional experience to present myself as the best candidate. Some students decide to go into the work first and really see whether or not that is something that they're interested in. So then go back and pursue that master's degree. Why pursue the degree right after your undergrad? And how does this master's line up with your more long-term personal and professional goals? Yeah, so to address your first question, I tried to decide for a little bit on whether I wanted to take a gap year or go straight into a program. But after reflecting on that, I knew myself and I was like, if I take a gap year, I would get so invested in what I'm doing career-wise and I would never go back. I was, I just need to go straight into the program. I know I still have a couple years left in me to be able to continue school. Yeah, got to work with that momentum when you have it. Exactly. Undergrad is tiring. I'm definitely tired four years later, but I know that I still have some momentum in me because I'm the type of person that's very invested in what I'm doing. I was, I have to apply now. If I apply now, I will never apply. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I knew in myself that I wanted to continue my education. I wanted to get a master's or a PhD, but I didn't want to run the risk of never doing it. And I'm going straight. We'll see if that momentum lasts longer than a couple months. I'm hoping it does. Answer your second question of how it lines up with my personal goals. I'm the type of person that I will give myself 100% to whatever I'm doing job-wise or passion-wise. I really wanted to work in a career that I'm passionate about. Personally, I'm passionate about racial justice and gender justice, that field. I wanted to work in a career centered around that. In my experience as an undergrad, I go as a person of color, I go to a predominantly white institution. So I'm constantly advocating for people of color on my campus, advocating for their needs, advocating for their resources. And it's a passion of mine. And I was like, I want to continue doing this, but on a scale where I'm able to make a difference. I want to be able to be in those conversations about policies that are being made, about changes that are happening at a university that directly affect students of color. And I was like, if I'm very passionate about this as a 21-year-old, I know that I'll be passionate about it years down the line. So I wanted to 
create that into the professional goals that I have. And that's why I applied to student affairs programs. And I want to be a student affairs professional for needs of students like me, so they can have a better experience than what I had as an undergrad, specifically for students of color and specifically for first generation college students. I also want them to be able to see someone in a leadership position that represents them. I want first generation students to be able to see me and be like, she's a first gen student. If she was able to do it, I can do it too. I can graduate from undergrad too. So that's why I applied to master's. That's kind of why I'm motivated to be in the career and be in the profession that I am in. That's how like my personal professional goals line up as well. That's awesome. I think a lot of that advocacy work is super important and that's being a role model for others. I think that's great. I'm really glad that you were able to find that early on in your undergrad degree to to see that that's something that you really valued. That's something that you wanted to do after undergrad. Now we're going to dive into what the application process was like. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what it was like to do the, the application, what one needed to go into a application for a master's program? I'll be the first in my family to attend graduate school and receive a graduate degree. And that went into me applying for graduate school because I did not know where to start. I had all these questions. I was, how do I apply for financial aid? How do you even look up what a graduate program is? I had all those questions in my head. I was having headaches every single day because I had so many questions. I was like, I don't know where to start. And I would talk to my family and I would talk to my sister about it. And they're like, we don't know either. You are the first one to do this. So we don't know. Like, we're here to support you. We're here to help you any way we can. And so I was like, okay, let's go back to four years ago when I was applying to undergrad. Used the same mentality I had when applying to undergrad to apply to graduate school. Obviously, there's no common app anymore for graduates. You're applying at the specific university's website, which was different because I thought there was a graduate school common app like there is for undergrad. And you just hit all the universities you want to apply to. It's not like that application for every single school and I was like oh my god so much more time consuming I kind of wrote down all the questions I had and I was like I need these questions answered so I reached out to the lead scholars program at my school which is our first generation college program and I was like help me please that's literally how I phrased the email because I was like I don't know what I'm doing and the lead program director, Erin, she even set up a phone call with me to talk about it. She would like send me email. She was like, you can call me anytime like to help you. And I was like, okay, I feel better. And I also talked to my two mentors who are Dr. Griffin and Dr. Fernandez in the ethnic studies department. They're my number one supporters. They were like super excited when I was, I'm going to graduate school before the pandemic, when I would meet with them in their office. Yes. Okay. This is what we're going to do. We're going to sit down and like, they're giving me a list of things to do. And I was like, I have some structure and I know I have the support of people on campus. And my professors would email me like check-ins and be like, how are you doing? Did you do this? Have you researched yet? Have you put down your list? And And they kind of gave me structure when it came to applying. And then now I'm going to apply. I've had some of my questions answered. I'm going to start this now. I researched the graduate program and created a login, opened up my application portal. It's the same as undergrad in terms of fill out all of your demographic information, your letters of recommendation, which is super important to ask for in advance, just like they tell you when you're applying to undergrad, filling out my letters of recommendation, like who are going to write them. And then I created 
Google folder folders for each school I was applying to and created Google Docs for every single one of the prompts I needed to write and then put the prompt in the doc and I was able to write it and write out bullet points of what I wanted to say and then word vomited onto the paper and then fine-tuned it and then I ended up sending it to my mentors to proofread and was please tell me if this is trash and they would comment and like they would hype me up too in the comments which was amazing it made me feel so much better about myself and I ended up doing that I also ended up talking to people who went to the programs I talked to one of the professors for the, for the program I'm attending in the fall I talked to one or two students that also attended the program to kind of learn more about it and it solidified why I wanted to go into the program and if it was a right fit for me, which also definitely helps, especially if you talk to people that are currently in the program or currently teach in the program, because then they'll remember you and be like, they'll look at your application. She was contacting us. She seems invested, which is also a perk for applying. I didn't know that would help if I contact people that are in the program and teach in the program. And then I also attended open houses and workshops for the program, which is another recommendation I have because some programs will waive the fee to send in your application if you attend their workshops. Look out for those. I ended up getting my application fee waived. But for me, what helped me fill out this application after I thought of my million questions was creating my own to-do list on my iPad. And I was okay, I want rough drafts of these done by this day. I want my resume done by this day. And setting those hard and soft deadlines for me so I was able to submit my applications on time. A lot of these applications open up in August. For me, being able to create those to-do lists really helped me structure my time. For when I did enter school and did begin school, I was still able to keep up with my to-do list because I had that structure. I even put Google Calendar reminders. It would send me a notification on every single device I have. You're submitting your app. You need to have this done. I could not escape that deadline, which is really beneficial for me. So that's how I worked through the application process. Because doing my to-do list and all my reminders, I ended up submitting all my applications by December 1st. Cool. Well, sounds like you had a nice structure built in that can help you get everything done on time. You mentioned a little bit about deadlines. What was your timeline like? It sounded like you were thinking about applying or getting ready to like go for it right before your senior year. But what was your overall timeline? When did you start researching the schools you wanted to go to? And how did that play out as you went through the application process and then submitted everything by December 1st? I started looking into graduate programs I wanted to apply to. My winter quarter of my junior year of college, I didn't have like a definitive list until maybe May or June, but I was just looking at a bunch of programs that I could apply to both in-state and out-of-state. And then around June, that's when I also emailed the three people that I wanted to write my letters of recommendation. I also wanted to email them way ahead of time because we're living in a pandemic. And it's like, I want you guys to have the most flexibility that you can. I didn't even start my applications yet. And they already knew that they were going to write my letters of recommendation. And then I kept a folder in my bookmarks bar on my laptop of all the programs I was applying to. And I would constantly check back to see when the application opened. For USF, I think it opened in July. And as soon as they opened, that's when I created my application. And I did the easiest thing on all of them. I just filled out the demographic information. 
And then I would see what the prompts were that they needed me to write on. And that's when I would create my separate folders for each graduate program. And I was, these are the prompts that I want to do. And it was about two to three for each graduate program. So it wasn't too many. And then that's when I created the deadline of when I wanted those statements done. I knew the first school I needed to be applying to needed to be submitted by December 1st. So I made all of them due by December 1st. I was like, I don't want to worry about this any longer. Being able to create one deadline for me actually helped me a lot. And then I created deadlines for all the statements I needed to do. And for USF and USC, I made that deadline September 1st to be able to do a rough draft of them. And I can send them to my mentors to be able for them to review it and then being able to edit it. And so in the meantime, luckily, I've already had my resume created for a while. Just needed to edit it with job end dates and that make it look nice and pretty. And then building up the courage to hit submit. Because I think while like obviously filling out the application is the most time consuming, I think for me, the most anxiety provoking was hitting submit. Two of those schools took money out of my bank account, knowing that they're taking $70, $90 out of my bank account hurt, hitting submit and being now it's a waiting game. Gotcha. Okay. So it sort of sounds, it, it was a process of about a year where you started digging into where you wanted to apply and maybe January, February solidified that day by March, June, and then went full mode and, and applying and getting everything done. And it also sounds like, the I guess, the main components of the application were the application itself, which includes all the demographics, the essays, and the letters of recommendation. So first off, so what were some of those biggest unknowns as you went through the whole process? And then what would be some lessons learned or tips that you would offer students who be thinking about applying to grad school? The biggest unknown I had, well, one was how was I going to afford it? I'm still working through that question, but I do not have any tips for that one yet. I think other than that, the biggest unknown is, am I worthy, for lack of better words, of being in a graduate program? And I think that goes back to what I was saying earlier, that I dealt a lot with imposter syndrome as an undergrad. I know I'm going to deal with it as a graduate student. I think that just comes with being first generation you're the first in your family or one of the first people in your family to be in this space. You're working through how to do this by yourself for the first time. I'm still working through those thoughts. I still have a lot of those thoughts. A tip for myself and a tip for others is that if you get an acceptance, that means that that program saw something in you. And they say that you do deserve a space in this program. For example, University of San Francisco, hundreds of people apply to this program. Out of the hundreds of people, I'm one of 30 that they say, we want you in this school. For that, that says a lot of, I do deserve to be in this space and I do deserve to have a graduate degree. I think a tip that I have for that is acknowledging that you are breaking glass ceilings by being the first. Being the first to attend undergrad, being the first to get a graduate degree, you're breaking those glass ceilings. Then you'll be able to help your family members down the line. Or if you have a kid, your kid, when they want to apply to undergrad or when they want to apply to graduate school, you'll have the resources to be able to help them. I think that's something that I keep in my head while I'm, I don't know if I'm good enough for this. Another tip I have is don't be afraid to ask questions. It's okay to ask questions. I think growing up, I was the type of person that didn't like asking for help and didn't like asking questions because I thought that people would see me as weak. But asking questions and asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. 
because you're acknowledging that you know that you need help. And to do that does take a lot of strength. Being able to reach out to your first generation program in your high school or at your undergraduate institution, reaching out to your teachers and your professors, that it's okay to do that and that they're here to support you. And I think utilizing those resources will only help you. It won't disadvantage you. Yeah, I think that asking for help is definitely a very key one that I've heard time and time again. And I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And congratulations on your acceptance. We definitely wish you the best. Thank you. Our next guest is Saileen, a college graduate who first went to the workforce, but is now currently doing her master's part-time in engineering while continuing to work as a consultant. Eileen, thank you for joining us. And why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience? Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. Like Luke's mentioned, my name is Eileen Tapia. I am a first-generation college grad from El Paso, Juarez border cities. I was mostly raised most of my life in Juarez until I moved to El Paso to continue middle school and high school. And so that was a little bit of a culture shock when, whenever I made that transition. I majored in industrial engineering at the University of Texas El Paso, go Miners. And I am currently doing my master's there as well in systems engineering. When I graduated uh, high school, I had no idea what a resume was. And I am proud now to say that when I graduated college, I graduated with five different internships. The, the college experience really helped me figure out what I wanted as a career and what I wanted to pursue. And right now I'm working as a management consultant at Accenture, which is a high-tech consulting firm. And I'm currently based out of Dallas and super happy to be here. Giving back to the community, it's probably my biggest passion. Congrats, by the way, on all of those internship opportunities and offers. That's awesome. Just so that I get this straight. So you went to school in El Paso, but you're now in Dallas for work but are doing your master's remotely? Yes, I graduated in 2018. I moved to Houston, Texas actually first, and I just recently relocated to Dallas. This summer, I started back my master's because of COVID. I was like, what else am I going to do with my free time? When I graduated, I always knew that I wanted to do my master's, but I just really wanted to work. And I did some dual credit courses through my undergrad. I actually graduated with half of my master's degree already taken care of. And last summer, I was like, I'm just going to put my foot down, actually submit the application, do the whole process to start my master's. And I started last summer. COVID gave me a lot of time to focus on my academics. And one of the reasons that it took me more than a year to go back to getting my master's was that whenever I graduated, I really wanted to work, but I didn't know going into consulting how much time that was going to take away from my life. And it is an industry where it tends to travel, it tends to be fast paced. And so I just didn't want to overcommit. That was my thought process. Like, let me go work, let me figure it out first. And then whenever I feel ready, I'll go back to school. And it just so happened that I was ready. I was at the point in my career where I feel that I knew what I was doing. And then COVID happened, everything aligned. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I actually wanted to work as well because I didn't have any money. And it's like, well, I need money. So <laughs> I'm going to go get a job. <laughs> right. <laughs> and as an engineer, it was, they're going to pay me this much. I, let me start making some money and then I'll figure it out. <laughs> 
So you mentioned that you already knew that you wanted to get a graduate degree while in undergrad. I guess when exactly did you know that that was the case? And when you did, how did you choose the appropriate courses to fulfill that master's that you wanted to pursue? I think really when that seed started, that was my high school senior year. I took a circuits uh, pre-AP course and we did a circuits project and I was just so fascinated with circuits and my team let me down and I was doing the whole project on my own and I didn't mind it because I thought it was so cool and so fun. And Eileen, senior year in high school, thought circuits, I think, because I didn't really know, that's what electrical engineers do. So let me go for electrical engineering. Second class, freshman year, it was intro to coding. I got frustrated, so scared. I found out real quick that coding was not for me, which is totally fine. And that's like the first time that I actually had to think about what major I want to pursue. And thankfully, I ran into two amazing mentors that they're still my mentors till this day. And I sat down with them and we went through every single engineering degree plan. And it was like for mechanical engineering, like thermodynamics. Nope, I don't like that. We got to industrial engineering and I wasn't like a fan of it, but I didn't hate it. Then let's go with it. And I fell in love with it. I, I really liked the the fact that industrial engineering takes you to the business side. And also you learn a little bit about the technical side. So you're able to go back and forth between the two. And as I was going through my degree, my department had a partnership with the College of Business for a fast track MBA. So at that point, I was having leadership experience through student organization. And I was just really enjoying managing people, managing projects and getting all that experience. So I figured at that point in time that the MBA made sense. I had the opportunity my junior year to go to Harvard for a summer program. It's called the Summer Venture Management Program, SVMP. It's a minority program to get them a chance to experience the Harvard experience. And so that really opened my eyes that an MBA it's going to be very valuable, but I want to get it from a top tier school. In my idea, the MBA was on hold until I get more real world experience. And at that point, I kind of knew that I want to pursue a more technical degree. I wanted to stay within the College of Engineering. Then I went off to work. And when I came back to like, okay, let me, let me start doing something for my master's. If I wanted to take advantage that I already had completed half of my degree. I had the option for manufacturing engineering, industrial engineering, and systems engineering. My thought was manufacturing engineering is changing rapidly and the degree that was being offered to me wasn't going to add any more value to what I already have experience in industry. Industrial engineering, I already took my degree on that and it's not like I want to build a specialization. And systems engineering was the perfect match for my current role at Accenture. To me, what systems engineering is, it's a sister discipline to software engineering. Software engineering focuses more on the code and how making something work. And systems engineering, it's managing that whole end-to-end process on how does that code, new app, new website fit into the actual system machine that is actually working in the background. When I spoke to my manager about the fact that I wanted to pursue my engineering, he had never thought about systems engineering and what it could do to his team and the company itself. He started digging and doing more research. He was getting so excited with me which was super reassuring. We're like, okay, I'm doing the right thing. But 
a lot of my, and this is something that I didn't expect. I started taking my first two classes that I took. I started learning a lot about the validation and verification of our processes. And I was heck, we're missing some of these things in our project. And going through homework and doing a little bit more reading, I, I brought it up to my manager hey, you know, I'm learning this in class and I see a gap in our project and I think this could be super helpful for our productivity and just quality assurance capabilities. And he was, Eileen, and this awkward pause, like, you don't know what they're going to say. And he was, go do it. Like, what are you waiting? And I was, okay. So he gave me a lot of autonomy and just him knowing I'm doing my master's and academia is backing where I'm learning has helped me a lot in my career. And I never thought that my master's was going to be so transferable to the line of work that I'm doing. But I'm so happy that since probably month one, I'm seeing results and transferable skills that are helping me amplify my brand, continue expanding my career and getting myself more credentials to boost my credibility as, as a contributor. That's really awesome that you are able to see those holes at work and then fill them with what you're learning in graduate school. You started working and happened to have some graduate school courses that you had taken, but weren't quite yet, I guess, enrolled in the grad degree program. When I started my fast track program, I was taking my electives. So in undergrad, the classes that I took were my electives towards my master's degree because I still needed to take the core for my master's since that was the other half. And all of those electives, even though I was initially going for my master's, they were able to transfer over to my systems engineering degree. And so the last half that that's what I'm completing now, hopefully in May, God willing, I will be graduating. I was just taking the second half of my master's, which is the core of the master's degree. What was the application process like for you then? Because you went back to the same school you did undergrad. So did you have to reapply for your master's degree? And what was that like? I did have to reapply for my master's degree. I still had to write my letters of recommendation. I still had to do the statement of purpose. But what really helped me was that they waived my GRE scores. And so when I applied to the Fast Track MBA program, I had to take the GMAT. And so I took that when I was in undergrad. They accepted my GMAT and the fact that I had a previous engineering background to supplement for the GRE test. However, I do think it really helped me the strong relationships that I have with my faculty. I think for students that are potentially thinking about grad school or are interested in a program in their same college, I think leveraging those relationships with faculty is one of their best friends. Not only because I think my application process was facilitated because the department already knew who I was and I completed all the requirements, it helped me secure funding even and though I'm a full-time employee, I'm not paying for my master's. So if I hadn't networked enough when I was an undergrad, I would have, I think, a less pool of people that I could reach out for a letter of recommendation. Yeah, that's such a great tip. And let's circle back to the funding. I'll start by saying that, unfortunately, my employer doesn't have a college master's stipend. Most of the companies do. That would be like my first tip to go to your employer and ask HR for the benefits and see if they have some sort of educational stipend. And if they do, what are the requirements? You know, who needs to be involved to get that approved and how much money they're willing to give you per year? 
since I didn't have that, my only options were to self-fund it. I don't qualify for any research, graduate research stipends because I'm not a full-time graduate student. Or I could find the unicorn that I found <laughs> as my third option other than like scholarships. There's some scholarships for professionals. So my freshman year, I met one of my biggest mentors that truly changed my life. And when I told him, hey, I'm going back to school, he legit asked me, how are you paying for that? And I was in the process of figuring it out. I looked into different programs. I don't qualify for any of them. So FYI, if you do work and then try to go back to school, it's going to be a little bit more complicated if your company doesn't pay for it. So his wife actually had a grant that is helping women get into STEM degrees at the undergrad and graduate level. And she was able to fund me through that program as a research assistant, helping them with a mentorship program. I started a, a whole financial literacy program because as a first gen, I had no idea how personal finances work. A lot of things that I learned through my transitioning from college student to professional, and I was able to provide a lot of value to that grant by creating that financial literacy program. That's how I I was able to secure my funding for my master's, but I'm going to keep talking about this. Relationships and networking are the game changers in my career. And being really open with the people around me of like, hey, I'm looking for funding. Do you know of anything? And I feel very fortunate that it's not coming out of my own pocket. I truly believe that nobody should pay for their master's. There's plenty of grants out there, especially in engineering. There's a lot of money out there. And I was able to secure two scholarships as well. One by the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. They do have a specific scholarship for professionals. And then I also secured the Great Minds in STEM scholarship last year. Very cool. I think both have been mentioned in some of our prior episodes. So I'm glad that they're helping you out too. So what it has it been like in terms of like your time management and just being able to juggle graduate school and, and professional life? Because you mentioned yourself that consulting can be pretty demanding. Well, I didn't take the advice of people in my life. They were like, take one class and see how it goes. Well, I it took two classes my, my first semester back and it was a lot of work. I really didn't expect for it to get that crazy. I think it really helped me that, like I mentioned before, we were in COVID times and had nothing else to do other than do homework. But it's a full work day from eight to four or nine to five. And then you're already exhausted on being your computer, being on the phone all day, and then eating, then going back to whether you have class or whether you have a group meeting or just have to read and do homework. It took me by surprise how different the team dynamics are from your undergrad to your graduate courses. At that time, I was staying with my grandma. So I feel so blessed that she would cook for me. She would clean. I felt like super bad, but it was just a reality that if I was living on my own, I don't think I would have survived other than ordering Chick-fil-A every day because it was a lot of work. And so the next semester, I only took one class and it was a lot better. Like I was able to not rush through the assignments as much because I actually really enjoy the content and I was giving it the time to absorb everything that I really wanted to learn. And now this is my final stretch. And this semester, I knew that two classes was going to be a lot. It is a lot. But I think what helped me was having the conversation with my significant other. Hey, this is what's going on. This is the final stretch. I know I'm going to be 
stressed, but I really need your support because this is what's going to happen. This is the expectation. I also had that conversation with my mom and, and my work team. I wanted them to know that, hey, I'm doing my master's, so if I'm nappy because I didn't sleep well, I just want you to know that this is what's going on in my life. I think having that conversation and setting expectations with the people around you are going to help you a lot managing your time. And I also like to call it managing your energy because if you're close to being burnt out, if you feel your energy getting low, you need to be graceful with yourself and take a break. If you don't finish that assignment by the the deadline. I used to be a perfectionist and I was like, good enough is perfect for me. I was very OCD about every assignment needed to be perfect and I've kind of let that go and that doesn't stress me out as much. It's a lot about time, but also energy management to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Yeah, that is so important. You talked a little bit about expectations. What are the expectations like from your graduate degree and how do you feel like that maybe differs from undergrad? I think whenever I was in undergrad, it was very input-output. Everything has a right answer. And now I feel that it's a lot more reading and writing rather than figuring out a math problem. And now it's more using your critical thinking. Now you're actually thinking and you're not following a process to solve a problem. It's you based on your experience. What do you think you would do if you had these tools available to you? And we have students that are doing their undergrad degrees right now, like I used to. And then we have people that have been working in industry for like 20 years. And we have ex-military people also on the team. It's just a very broad set of experiences that we're able to think aloud together to come up with our own analysis and our own approach. And now it's not, hey, I'm looking for X equals 10. I'm looking for what is the best approach for us to get to X. I think that's the biggest difference that I've seen from my undergrad to my graduate courses. And another word that I'll use for expectations, because when I you said expectations, I instantly thought about boundaries. It was having a conversation with everyone around me about what they could expect from me. Also, I've been practicing setting up boundaries as far as this is what I'm willing to do to maintain my energy and maintain my own peace. And if you are not okay with that, I used to think that that was my problem. Now I know it's not my problem because this is what's keeping me sane. And if you are not okay with that, I'm not responsible for that. And I love you and I respect you, but I need to do what's best for me right now and for my mental health. And it's not easy to navigate that, especially as a woman. We were told, calladita se ve más bonita. And if I don't agree with something, I'm not going to stay quiet. Yeah, so that actually brings up all our question. So how did your family take this decision? I mean, you already had an undergrad degree. So how did they feel about you going back to school and getting more degrees? Did they have any pushback? Did they maybe have a little bit of difficulty at first understanding why you were doing that? I think the thing that they struggle with the most, it's when I left home for my first internship. They were like, huh, you're leaving for what? <laughs> and I think from that point, they were like, okay, Eileen, it's not going to fit in this little box that we thought she was on. And we really don't know why she's going. And I think from then on, I started self-discovery and self-awareness journey that took me to making very independent choices since they were never an obstacle, any of my academic 
make or career moves, but they were not enablers. Gotcha. Yeah, I think they're pretty common sometimes among first gens. Right. Like a lot of your children's family, I think they're happy because you're telling them that you're doing this, but they don't know how to help you. So whenever me and my brother graduated, that was like the whole work for them. We graduated as a family. They knew that I was taking dual credit courses during my undergrad. And so they kind of already knew that I wanted to pursue my master's. But it was really, since we're not paying for it, you can do whatever you want. Because I graduated debt free from my undergrad, thank God. But I think that was the biggest thing since I were not paying for it, they didn't feel that they had a lot to contribute because all my trips and everything that I bought for myself, I started working at 16 years old. Since I never asked for any money for my parents and I started contributing for rent very early on in my career, they were, we can't tell you no to anything because you're not asking for anything either. So I think the only thing that really changed for them, it's the time that I was giving them. I'm the type of person that calls mom and abuela every single day. And instead, I would still text them every day, but it's just not the hour, two hour long conversations that we used to have. And just understanding that, no, I don't love you less. This is just what's happening in my life. I guess my last question for you is if you could summarize some of these tips for other students that are thinking about going to grad school, what would those be? I think I would start from within. If you feel that going to grad school, it's going to fulfill your purpose. It's something you're passionate about. It aligns with your academic and career goals. Then you should go for it and use those relationships, whether family, whether mentors, faculty, people on this podcast. Don't be afraid of reaching out and using your resources. And I don't know why we don't do that enough, at least me and my Hispanic community community of reaching out for help. Help, it's not a sign of weakness. Really leverage those relationships. One of my personal quotes, it, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. Other people will open the opportunities for you to succeed. You want to be in front of the people that are going to open opportunities for you, whatever those opportunities might mean for you. And if grad school is something that your parents want you to pursue, I will stop and reflect because I think it's a dilemma of you want to please them, but you don't want to do something that it's going to burn you out and affect your mental health. But everything that you want in this life, you have it within you. Look inward and you're going to find a beautiful world that 25 years old, I'm still discovering and awakening into a lot of my own gifts. Take that chance on yourself and we're going to be here cheering you on. Yeah, well, I think that was very well said. And thank you so much, Eileen, for joining us today. And good luck on finishing up your graduate degree. Thank you so much for having me, Luz. Our final guest is Chris, a college and grad school graduate who got his master's in accounting. So Chris, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to share my story on your podcast. My name is Chris Huerta. I'm a first-gen college graduate. I grew up in Pasadena, Texas and went to school at the University of Houston, where I got my undergrad degree in accounting and I got my master's degree in accounting as well with a focus in taxation. Currently, I work at a big four firm. I am a tax technology manager and I've been there for around four and a half years. So I've spent some time in public accounting doing a lot of data automation and sales tax work. Right now, I'm actually on potential to leave. Uh, we welcomed my son a few weeks ago. So just enjoying time with him, taking a little break from work and just living the dad life now. 
Awesome. Well, congratulations on the baby and glad to hear that you're, you have paternity leave. Don't always hear that. That's a nice benefit. Yeah, super grateful for that. Can you tell us a little bit about just your college journey in general and, and how that went? I mean, as a first-gen college graduate, my story is not that different from everybody else's. I'm the oldest of three in my family. So being the oldest, you kind of always had to set the example. And my parents immigrated here from Mexico. So education was our out to get out to be successful. So I knew that I had to go to college. The question was how. I didn't have any immediate family that went to college. I didn't really have any resources to to ask or to get guidance from. Even at our school, our school didn't really have a dedicated college program at the time. We had counselors, but there wasn't a lot of good information that they had for first-gen students. So it was really up to me to self-educate on what needed to be done. At the same time, my fiance, now wife, she was undocumented at the time, trying to navigate really the first-gen college experience as somebody who has never heard about college and then somebody who has to jump some extra extra hurdles that. So really, it was that grind of trying to find information that was helpful to me, but then also helping my wife figure out where she could find resources for herself. That was also a a different experience that really molded my time during college. It's what got me involved on campus and in the community. And a lot of the stuff that y'all are doing now, I did in college. And those challenges, those hardships on just trying to get in really molded my time there. Yeah, the college journey was mostly self-education and then just trying to figure it out. An all-too-common experience among our first-gens, for sure. Let's go ahead and dive into the topic for today, which is graduate school. So when did you first learn about graduate school? After I learned that college was a thing, I kept on hearing the term called graduate school, and I didn't really know what it meant. I just thought it didn't apply to me. Going to college, I was like, okay, well, I made it to college. I don't know that I need to do this graduate school thing. It wasn't until my sophomore year in college where I was a mechanical engineering major, and I transferred into the business school to to do accounting where they kept talking about the master's program. And I went to school at the University of Houston and they have this five-year master's program where you would do your undergraduate in four years and you would get your master's in one year. That's kind of the first time I heard about it and became a thing that was attainable to me. So once I I saw that, the business school really pushed that five-year master's program. And after that, things kind of just started to line up. As an accounting student, a lot of people who graduate in accounting are going to take this CPA exam. Well, in order to take the CPA exam, you need a certain amount of hours and a certain course requirements. And in order to get those course requirements, that's where that one-year master's came in, where uh, on one side, you got the master's degree, and on the other side, you met all of the requirements to take the CPA exam. And that's really what I noticed, okay, this is something that I'm going to do because it kind of gets me where I need to go next. I don't know too much about a master's in accounting and maybe some of our audience don't either. Just for clarification, is it that at U of H you could do this five-year program, but elsewhere you would have to go in and apply separately for a master's and then do like a two-year master's or how does that work? Accounting is really interesting, especially in Texas, because a lot of the large Texas schools offer this sort of five-year master's program. So if you're already set on accounting, a lot of schools in Texas, and there's other schools in other states as well, they kind of have this integrated program where you do your undergraduate degree. And if you want to, you can apply for the master's program. And it's same curriculum, same classes, part of an integrated curriculum to where you just have to do one year master's instead of two. Unlike other programs where it might take two or more years to do the master's, I was fortunate enough to find myself in a situation where it was available in kind of this bundle 
where it just made it that much easier for me to go to graduate school. I had also applied to graduate school at other universities as well. Some of them would have required a two-year master's program, even if it was for accounting. And some of them would have allowed me to transfer what I had done at U of H and also do my master's in one year. It's really something that's unique to the accounting program, but I've seen similar things with architecture programs at other universities as well. A lot of these degrees or career paths where master's degrees are a little bit more common. A lot of universities have these sort of integrated programs that make it easier for their students to take that one extra year to get that degree instead of taking it over two or more years. When you were planning on doing this five-year master's program, did that mean that you had to first graduate with your bachelor's, then apply for the master's, or was that all kind of meshed together? A lot of it was meshed together. So the great thing about the program at U of H, and I know it's similar, we're in Texas, where your senior year, the spring semester, they have these things called double counts, where you take courses that count towards both your undergrad and your graduate degree. Presumably by the end of your junior year, you've already decided that the five-year program is what you're going to be a part of. That way, the classes that you take the spring semester of your senior year, your last semester of undergrad, a lot of those courses count towards both degrees. Gotcha. That's super handy. Yeah, it's super convenient. And to be honest, I don't know that I would have considered a graduate degree if it weren't for this program. How does this master's in accounting light up with like your personal timeline as you were figuring out, yes, this is for sure what I want to do? Like it did mean like tacking on an additional year that maybe perhaps at the beginning you weren't envisioning. Yeah, so it, things just kind of started to fall like in puzzle pieces. So the middle of my sophomore year, that's when I decided I'm majoring in accounting. As an accountant, you know that you're going to need a CPA license. And in order to take the CPA, you need those certain hours and certain requirements to take the exam. One option was to graduate with my undergrad degree and find other ways to fulfill those requirements, either take them at a community college or go do a graduate degree elsewhere. Or I could just stay where I was, stay for another year and do that one year master's program at the University of Houston, meet my requirements, take my exams. And by the time I graduated college, I would have graduated with an undergrad and master's, obtained my CPA license, which consists of taking four time consuming exams. And also at the end of that, having a full time job offer. Throughout my undergraduate career, I had internships at a public accounting firm. So I kind of knew that's where I was going to work. I had a full-time offer already. I had a start date. Timeline-wise, it all lined up. Okay, it sounds like the master's mostly made sense for you because of job prospects. You knew that that's what you wanted to do, and that was a clear avenue to get to where you wanted to be. It was, yes, especially because my university works really closely with a lot of the accounting firms that are going to be the eventual employers of a lot of these students. So they know that, hey, we have these job openings, and you kind of know like, okay, these are all of the students that would be eligible there. So you know when your start date's going to be if you go to any one of these larger firms, and it's really just a matter of taking care of your degree during that time. And if you can, taking care of that CPA exam. I know you've touched on this a little bit already, but do you think you could have gotten to where you are now without that master's? 
you can. I think I definitely could have. Like I said, the only reason I did the graduate degree or one of the main reasons was being able to have a master's degree, it differentiates you professionally. It adds that credibility. At the same time, it was you need those course requirements and those hour requirements to take this exam. And then even at a personal level, being the first in my family to go to college, being able to graduate undergrad and then also graduate with a master's, I thought that would have been a better example to set for my younger siblings and kind of set that bar at a certain level. And it worked because my brother did exactly what I did and he might have done it a little bit better. If the how you look at it, like from a financial perspective, it definitely was more expensive than the alternative. But I think in terms of the value that I got from it, the relationships I made at U of H, the the personal development that I was able to have as I did that one year in graduate school, and then just setting an example to my brother and sister, like knowing that they could also get a master's degree. I think that's worth it, even if financially it was a little bit more expensive. Yeah, I love that about setting that example of being that role model. I think that's really important. And kind of going off of something you said, how did you fund that degree that extra year? How were you able to pay for it? By that point, I was really involved in the business school. So I was able to get some scholarships from the business school, some other scholarships from the university. We had different sponsors. A lot of the public accounting firms had their own scholarships that they would provide to high performing students. So I was able to get some of those scholarships. But at the end of the day, I still had to take out a student loan because even though it's only one year of grad school, it's still really expensive. It's still cost prohibitive to many people. And I have classmates who we were the same high-performing students. And the only reason they didn't do it was because of the cost. And they said, okay, I could spend one or $2,000 at a community college to take all of these classes, or I could spend $20,000 for one year in grad school. At the end of the day for them, they were going to meet the requirements to take the CPA exam. They had those same job offers. So at that point, it really does become a personal decision. Are you willing to make that investment or take out those loans? Going off of that a little bit, so how do you think that graduate degree helped you grow as a person? What additional benefits did you get from doing that graduate program? There's a lot that I learned during that one year, and it isn't really related to the classes that I took. Whenever you come to graduate school, you do a lot of adulting. For one, you learn how to respect your own time because a lot of graduate school classes are once a week in the evening or in the afternoon. It's not like you have class every day or every afternoon like you do in undergrad. So for me, I worked part-time. I was engaged to my fiance at the time, and she was in law school. So she was an undocumented law student. I was also taking a full course load in graduate school, and I was studying for the CPA exam. Having all of those things going on, I had to learn how to manage my own time. And I feel like even in the classes that I was, I learned to not be afraid to take up space. Because in graduate school, I was often one of the only people of color, and I was paying the same amount that other people were paying there. So I kind of took it upon myself to take up the space that I was worth in the classroom. So that means engaging with professors, asking questions, like leading discussions in class. From my perspective, I was, I'm not going to pay all of this money and just be another kid in the classroom that just goes to class and goes out. Like I want to get something out of this degree and out of my time here. So that kind of helped me get out of my bubble. I think of myself as an introvert, but you wouldn't be able to tell that from my grad school classes because I was always talking, asking the questions. 
I was always that person where nobody had any questions, I would ask the question. So it definitely from a personal, it gave me more confidence to take up space, to own my space, to respect my time, like everybody else's. Like I feel a lot of the times as first gen students, we don't want to ask questions or we don't want to ask for help because we feel like we're inconveniencing the professor or inconveniencing the other students in the class. At grad school, I was, you know what, I'm also a student here. I also have questions. I also want to learn. So I'm going to ask the questions. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Yeah. So that was a really big development point. And I mean, I could go on and on like building relationships with professors and advisors and graduate school staff. A lot of the scholarships that helped me pay for school were because of the relationships I built with my professors. Making those relationships with the accounting staff, the accounting department, making sure people knew who I was during my time there. And I hope I did a good job at that because my brother did the same thing four years later. People would always ask if he was Chris's younger brother. So I think I did a good job while I was there (laughs) making sure that they knew who I was. Yeah, that's awesome. Kind of looking back at how things have gone and everything, how do you think having gotten that master's lines up with both your personal and your professional goals as you keep moving forward? Yep. So it really laid the groundwork for me. Being in the role that I have now, I'm now a manager. And a lot of the work that I do is people-oriented. It's owning your space, sharing your expertise, leading other people. And I think to some extent, that's a lot of that I got a lot of in in graduate school. I mean, you have those group projects where you pick a topic, you work with a group. And so I think professionally, it was able to prepare me to carry my own weight in these types of professional situations, working with other people, knowing where to go at, knowing how to ask questions, and knowing how to get information out of people. That's a, a big part on how it aligned with my professional goals. As far as personal, I'm just glad that I was able to set an example for my siblings. Like I said, my brother, he actually started full-time at the same firm that I'm at. That's really awesome. And whether or not I won't take credit for his success, but I like to hope that maybe I played a little role in it. Yeah, for sure. So y'all work together now? We're not on the same team, but technically, yeah, we work together. We work at the same firm. He'll message me now and then. He's like, hey, like, how do I do this? I'm like, yeah. It's like, you know, I'm a manager, right? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, we work at the same firm and it's awesome. I think my parents are proud of us. Yeah, I would think so. So I have a a two-part question for you here. One, how do you think the graduate school portion of your education differed from your undergrad portion? And two, what were some of those lessons learned that you got as you went through both programs? Graduate school, there was a lot more adulting going on. Like you had to manage your own time even more than an undergrad. In undergrad, to an extent, you had classes at a certain time. So you knew that you had class in the morning, in the afternoon, and you would find places to study. But in graduate school, being that the classes are generally longer in length, but shorter as in like once a week, there's really no one holding you accountable except yourself. If I have a class on Thursday at 7 p.m., it was on me to know that, okay, Monday I'm going to read this portion of the textbook. Tuesday, I'm going to do this. Wednesday, I'm going to do that to prep for class on Thursday instead of prepping for class on Thursday at 5 p.m. That being able to manage your own time even more than you did in undergrad. That was the main part there. And really through both undergrad and graduate school, it's you're kind of on your own time now. It's a lot different than high school where everything is scheduled for you. Everything is you're given your schedule at the beginning of every semester. Like you own your time. You decide when you want to study. You decide if you want to go to class or not. And it's really a time for, I think, for everybody to to just understand what it means to take advantage of the time and the opportunities that you have at school. 
So it's sort of like for graduate school, you more or less have to take it upon yourself to get out of it what you put in. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that kind of ties back to like, that's why I asked all of those questions and I became more engaged because I knew that during undergrad, like I, I didn't do that to an extent because I was the classes were a bit larger. So I that those nerves of asking a question in a large classroom. But then also you don't feel whenever you're in large classes like that in undergrad, you might be one of 20 or 25 people of color in a 300 room class. But in grad school, I was one out of 20. That kind of also motivated me to like, okay, this is time to own my time, own my space. I have questions. I want to get everything I can out of this class. I feel like in graduate school, I was a better advocate for myself than I was in undergrad. What was one of the biggest surprises or challenges that you faced as you were going through grad school? There is a few. Cost was definitely one of them. I knew that grad school would be expensive, but I just never put into perspective how expensive it would be, which is one of the reasons that I had to take out that loan in grad school. Responsibility as well. I needed to do everything I needed to do to prepare for class, to take my exams. And it's an even greater responsibility than in undergrad. I mean, one of the, the more obvious things to me as I was going through grad school is just like U of H is known to be a diverse campus with a diverse student population. And I felt like that applied to the undergrad. Once you got to graduate school, it kind of went back to where I was just one of a certain number of people of color. So that was the biggest surprise for me because I had gone through four years of U of H with U of H touting that it was a diverse campus. And it is, but you find pockets of different colleges and graduate schools where only certain people make it to that point. I think that was surprising to me, having that sort of culture shock within the same university and even the same college. Gotcha. Yeah, that's really interesting that even given the same place and same school you were at, there was a shift in the people you were having class with. So to wrap up here, so what would be some tips that you would offer students who may be thinking about applying to grad school in general and maybe applying to a master's program in particular? Definitely, if you're thinking about applying to a master's program, like if it's early on in your college career, definitely consider master's programs in, in other at other universities and how you might be able to transfer stuff there. Because I one of the things I found is I was applying to graduate school school in a different state to do the same thing, master's in accounting and cost wise, it would have cost the same to do that at, at that other school as it did in U of H. If you're somebody who's looking to get a different experience or go to a different school or live in a different state, there's a lot of these different types of, of programs where you end up getting the same education. It's the same curriculum. It's just in a different setting. And I think changing your setting like that can help a lot of people grow as well. As far as starting an undergrad, not being afraid to take up your space. Always, everybody says to ask questions, but I, I also think it's important to ask meaningful questions and ask questions that you want answers to, not questions that you think your classmates might want answers to. And of course, I, there's a lot more resources going on. I mean, this podcast exists, which it did not whenever I was in college. So reaching out to to people who host podcasts like this, it's really a, a great opportunity to learn what other people have gone through, because a lot of the times that same experience that you're going through right now, somebody else has already done it. And I think this podcast exemplifies that. Awesome. Well, those are really great tips. And hopefully our listeners take advantage and 
hopefully this has helped them get to know a little bit more about what a master's is and what you can do with one. So thank you so much, Chris, for joining us today. It's been lovely to have you and thank you for sharing your wisdom. Yep. yep. Thank you for having me. As you heard from our guests, deciding on whether to go to grad school is a personal decision that involves self-reflection, consideration of how it plays into your long-term personal and professional goals, and research to find out what program is right for you and how to fund it. It's a decision that involves planning, networking, and asking for help, and an education that can provide more critical thinking skills and an opportunity for career advancement. As Chris mentioned, you get out of it what you put in. Thanks again to our speakers and thank you for tuning in today on How to College for First Gens. For more resources and information about grad school, check out our website at howtocollegefirstgen.org and tune in next week as we tackle another grad school degree. Follow us on social media and subscribe to our newsletter to get additional resources. Remember, you are not alone in this journey. Until next time. <music>